0: Thanks for listening to the Hi. podcast of Triple R's. This is mission. Daniel James, a weekly radio show is exploring RRR's issues RRR's that mission. impact the lives of people, a weekly a radio show exploring, exploring the issues of social, of social justice in this country. And those at the wrong end of, social justice, in this country. Wrong end of social justice is broadcast live in this country. every Tuesday evening. The mission is broadcast live every Tuesday evening. Feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Welcome to episode 0000105 of the mission. My name is Daniel James and I remind us all that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Thank you but it's good to see you. Now um, tonight um, we have a show that's all about the truth. Shortly I'll be joined by Professor Eleanor Burke. Late last week she was appointed the first chairperson of the Uruk Justice Commission. You may remember the commission has been established as part of the treaty process here in Victoria. And you may also remember I had a conversation with co-chair of the First People's Assembly um, of Victoria, Aunty Geraldine Atkinson, on the day that the commission was announced. Uh, There is a lot of cultural shift happening about the place at the moment, so we'll keep you abreast, or at least try to keep you abreast of all that on this show the best we can. So with that intent, in the second half of the show, we'll speak again with Ian Hamm, He's a man of many hats and he wrote a very interesting piece in The Age over the weekend that gave, in my view, a good overview as to why the truth-telling process is so crucial to moving the national conversation from a place of deficit to a place where we can have a more positive and nuanced discussion about the issues confronting First Nations people. I suspect uh, the truth-telling process will highlight is that uh, the time for speaking truth is also in the here and now it's not just about history it's about talking about issues that continue to confront first nations people so with that in mind let's take a moment to check out what's happening in out-of-home care across australia at the moment Um, a new report from the australian institute of health and welfare has highlighted that one in 18 children in out-of-home care are indigenous that is one in 18. That's 11 times the rate when compared to the rest of the population. And about half those kids are not in care with another Aboriginal family member or another Aboriginal family. So this is an unfolding crisis that is happening as I sit here and pontificate to you. And these issues must be included in any truth-telling process. This is something that we've got to discuss now and move from that deficit model to being a conversation around what can we do constructively to address these very, very deep and complex issues it will be painful for a lot of people to hear from pe- for people from all backgrounds and there is a lot of blame to go around in relation to these matters but I'll tell you one thing there's not a lot to deserve
1: this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organisation in melbourne australia triple r is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support triple r by donating or becoming a subscriber hit up the triple r website to find out how
0: Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, things are changing about this place, now known as Victoria. The truth about our collective history is beginning to emerge across the broader community now. And at the heart of that process is going to be the Uruk Justice Commission. Established in partnership between the First People's Assembly of Victoria and the Victorian Government, the Commission will have all the powers of a Royal Commission, and it will start the process of truth-telling because, as we all know, without truth, there can't be healing. Now, last week, after an exhaustive selection process, the five commissioners that will oversee proceedings were appointed. And the person chosen to be the chairperson of the commission is Professor Eleanor Burke. Um, Professor Eleanor Burke is a distinguished Wagaya Wamba-Wamba elder, whose outstanding leadership and tireless dedication, advancing Aboriginal education, um, and communities has spanned over 40 years. She has made a significant contribution to Aboriginal affairs and human rights in this state. I could go on and describe her list of achievements both in academia and cultural heritage, but we've only got about 40 minutes of the show left. So uh, why not let, let's get straight on with it and talk to the woman um, herself. Professor Alan Oil, uh welcome to the mission.
2: Thank you very much, Daniel.
0: Uh, congratulations on your appointment. Um, Broadly, what is the task at hand here over the next three years for the Commission?
2: Well, the next three years is to hear the voices of Victorian Aboriginal people mainly, to tell their stories, their stories about the, um, the beginnings of this place, uh, that, uh, as you said, we call now call Victoria, and um, hear what uh, people want to say about um, so-called settlement, about uh, the things that happened to their families and the impact that um, dispossession, the um, forced um, displacement and um, not being able to uh, speak language or perform ceremonies, all these sorts of things, not being able to be in places where people could get a bit of land back or have... um, uh, have um, employment, uh, you know, the fringe-dwelling sort of mm. out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. So, uh, I, I mean, I don't feel it's right for me to say too much because we want the voice of Aboriginal people to come through as they tell it to us. Mm. And um, we need to um, be able to um, uh, take that and uh, turn that into some form of... Um, uh, recommendation about the impact that the beginning had on where we are now, and all the things that are not still not uh, improving.
0: Yeah, So, so on that point, um, uh, uh, is, is, is it your hope that uh, that the process itself will help explain why things aren't improving at the moment to the to the broader population? Um, that the the heavy and nuanced discussions that may or may not happen as part of uh, the Euro Commission process will um, enlighten the the broader public as to why things are the way they are?
2: Well, I I do hope so. And, uh, I mean, a a lot of people that don't know the history of this country don't know much about Aboriginal people. Uh, And, um, you know, it's it's time, isn't it? It's time people learn. You know, that this wasn't an empty land, that people were here and lived and lived for all those tens of thousands of years and had cultures, rich. Um, I think it's time that that story be accepted um, as part of the whole Victorian story, not just something that, um, you know, is there when people feel like um, they want to find something out and discover suddenly that, oh, you you know, that's an Aboriginal word. Yeah. It's you know? an Aboriginal
0: place. What does it mean? One of, one of the things that most excites me about uh, the, 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 the commission is the potential for a whole range of uh, curriculum resources to fall out of the conversations and um, uh, truth-telling processes that will fall out of, of, of the commission. Do you think that... Um, uh, the commission, as as a process alone, will be beneficial for for things like the school curriculum.
2: Well, I hope there are outcomes for the for education. Obviously, there is you know an emphasis on um, other things in the terms of reference. But given that we're only appointed Friday and we haven't <laughs> uh, done our work yet on analysing for for ourselves, so that we can uh, give some. Um, important responses to a question like that. You know, we do have work to do in in understanding exactly what it is that is expected from um, uh, the um, charter that we've been given, and uh, we just hope it is going to make a difference and hope there are outcomes that are um, things that are practical and useful to people uh, to uh, understand in the way you're speaking in relation to education.
0: Well, come on, aren't time is money? I mean, you've been... What's yeah. nearly a week now? A <laughs> weekend <laughs> you mean? A weekend. Well,
2: a week a weekend, yeah, this a long weekend. I've had my interview since the press conference. <laughs> I can't get the phone out of my ear.
0: <laughs> well, it's not easy being popular. That's what I always tell myself. Well,
2: um, I don't know about popular, but, but, you know, we've got the job to do. That's the thing. And tomorrow morning, you know, nine o'clock, we're back at it to, you know, really understand... Our responsibilities and um, and uh, be better informed really about the kind of question you just put, yeah but um, obviously education is is a key thing uh, for us all and um, you know we'll have more to say when we get on the ground
0: when i um, when when the uh, commissioners were uh, announced last week, I was very 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 pleased with with the makeup of um, of the five commissioners so let 's um Let's talk a little bit uh, about the makeup here. So uh, you're the chair, and um, uh, Dr Wayne Atkinson, the Yorta Yorta Jar Jar Rungelder, is also on board. Um, Sue, Sue Ann Hunter, who is a friend of this show and a, a local Wurundjeri woman, is also on. And we've got um, yeah. Professor Maggie Walter, um, who's um, a Palawa woman, and we've got um, the uh, Professor and the Honourable Kevin Bell, AMQC, now that, um, in my humble opinion, is quite a line-up. Uh, are you um, uh, happy with the amount of gravitas that the Commission has now with, with that amazing line-up?
2: Well, we, we uh, in our initial um, meetings, that we've only had two, we like each other, we like our diversity and we like uh, the things that we think we bring to the table and we think we... Like you described, we think uh, we're going to make a good group and uh, when we know what else we need of course we'll be looking for that kind of expertise to uh, make sure that we cover all the bases of whatever comes out when people tell us their stories.
0: Now you've had an amazing career over um, uh, a long time now and you've, you've been a tireless uh, warrior for, for um, our people. Um, I just wanted to explore one thing that um, that you said that I picked up on the um, Victorian Honour Roll of which you were a member, being inducted back in 2019. Um, you once said, "My goal is to see that recognition of traditional owner groups is carried through all aspects of everyday life beyond just cultural heritage matters." Um, what what do you mean by that statement?
2: Well, I, I think that uh, people. Uh all Victorians need to know where they are. You know, for example, I live. I don't live on my country. I live in Wodurrung Country. Uh, so, um, do other Victorians know the country and where they live? You know, and who's going to teach them? How are we going to teach them? How do tra- traditional owners, when we're a bit thin on the ground, when this is such a vast state, really, when you look at? Uh, Areas that um, traditional owners have to cover now, if they want to um, respond to all the requests they get, it's nearly impossible, you know, because of the distance and the, um, the resources they have, because their primary response is to, you know, cultural heritage management under the Act. But um, there are people who recognise that they are better for meeting traditional owners having traditional owners come and visit their school or their special place and telling them more about it. And uh, that's, uh, that's really hard, you know, to cover the whole space, the whole uh, of the places that are important to us. And uh, it goes back to your first comment about education, getting it in the curriculum, uh, so that it's learned for you know, kids in school, uh, it's in uh, education for adult educators uh, and educate people that want to learn as adults. Uh, you know, people keep saying, uh, "Why didn't I learn this? Why don't I know this?" You know, things like that. Um, you hear, you know, if you go to a workshop somewhere, people are quite disappointed that they've been uh, denied that opportunity in their own education so it's a big it's a really big picture thing but um, uh, you know it's i think it's one of the outcomes will be that um, there will be information and uh, I think all Victorians will be better off for our people telling their story. I really do
0: absolutely i think that um you know, all we're, all we're really trying to do here as a, as a collective amongst, um, you know, in all our diversity, um, First Nations people from this place known as Victoria, is all we're trying to do is add value. And if you know the story, yes. if you know the story of First Nations um, people, of the traditional owners of the land that you're on, it only enriches your life if, if you know these things.
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I hope. I mean, there there, sh- there will be a greater awareness, I'm sure, because whenever the Aboriginal people speak, or there's some, um, uh, some m- maybe even publicity around a, a, a local uh, event, you know, it really does interest people to know that there's something that oh, hmm, I should have known that. Yeah. But, you know, who's providing it? We 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 will probably have to try and do it. You know.
0: Now, before I let you go, um, uh, um, without being too technical, how will the just so people can get their mind around it, how will the the Truth Commission actually, f- um, I guess, feed into the into the treaty process itself? Because they're they're two very different processes um, at this well, point.
2: Well, they are, but I think there's a bit of an interest in uh, what um, impact. Some of the things that happened in the past have on, uh, you know, on Aboriginal people now, and have on systems now. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not um, totally um, uh, up on this, but there is a, uh, there is the, that thread uh, yeah. that some people say, you know, the history impacts on, you know, people's. Um, behaviours now or, you know, the deaths in custody or mm. wh- whatever you want to name, you know. Uh, but I, I guess we will see, you know, we'll probably see positive and negative stories around all of that.
0: Yeah, you said, um, you um, know, I was, I was um, you know, stalking you via the airwaves last week and um, <laughs> one of the things you, um, you said is that you, that you expected to be humour as part of this process as well and, um, you know, um, I, I fully expect that as well.
2: Yeah, well, there will be some funny things. I mean, we've always had a good sense of humour, haven't we? We're good storytellers. Totes. Uh, Some some things won't be funny, but, you know, we'll find the moment, I reckon. Well... I mean, you're, you're a wordsmith, you know. You're on the radio. You sound pretty good to me, so... We can do this. Thank
0: you very much. If you want to subscribe, just head to (laughs) Um, um, (laughs) rrr.org.au. Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations once again. Um, Another thing that I really liked before before we say... uh, by was that the uh, the makeup of the commission is um, a majority majority female too so that was pleasing to see in these times but i wish you all the best in the amazing amount of work um, you've got ahead of you and it'll be good to keep in touch and um, touch base with you um, every now and then and and see how it's all going but thank you for your time yes
2: yes indeed thank you thank you for the interview and we'll talk again
1: you're listening to a triple r podcast Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast
2: platform.
0: Now, uh, let's continue on with um, the theme that we've been covering tonight, and that is, of course, truth telling. Ian Ham is a Yorta Yorta man and an official friend of the show now, that, given that this is his uh, third appearance, so congratulations, Ian. Um, he wears many hats on various boards um, and organisations uh, across, the, across the city and across the state. He has an extensive experience in Aboriginal affairs and a range of portfolio areas and in a number of leadership uh, positions. Uh, He is currently the chairperson of the First Nations Foundation. He is also the chairperson of the CBAA, the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. He's on boards left, right and centre. He thinks very deeply about the issues confronting our people and over the weekend he penned a piece in the Age and Sydney Morning Herald. uh, The opener to said article read as such, if Victoria is a book, then there is a whole chapter which is the Indigenous experience, the full story of which has never been told. So on the line now is Ian to help us write the next chapter of that book. Um, Ian, welcome back to the mission.
1: Thanks, Daniel, for having me.
0: Always good to have you on. Um, look, let's uh, let's cover the, the, the theme that we're covering here tonight. We just um, spoke with Professor Eleanor Burke um, earlier on, the newly appointed uh, commissioner to the Euro Commission, um, so in in that theme, as a member of the Stolen Generations yourself, uh, the truth is a powerful powerful concept, concept isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely it is, Daniel. I think the truth of, not just as the Stolen Children or our experience, but the broader truth of the effect that that had on the wider Aboriginal community, not only those who, who were taken, but um, those that were left behind or the people that the children were taken from, um, and that's couched in the wider narrative of the Aboriginal community, and and really, it's a cathartic experience to be heard, and for people to understand your story, whether it's that of a stolen child, whether that's of a uh, Aboriginal people on a mission, or soldiers returning from war and how they were treated, or a whole range of different things, um, or just simply the truth of how difficult it was up until recently, I think probably including even today, how challenging it can be sometimes to be Aboriginal in australia yeah
0: and, and you speak specifically too in the piece to uh, what it's actually like to be an Aboriginal person in victorian in Victoria uh, you know um, it's uh, we're not as visible a community as there are in some other parts um, of, of the state what is it what does it mean to you what's your perspective on being a, a, a I guess a traditional owner from, from uh, the state we now know as Victoria. What, what truths do you want to be told about um, you and um, who you are?
1: I, I certainly think one of the things that, that even some people now struggle with is accepting that there is an Aboriginal population here. There always been an Aboriginal population here and we never went anywhere. Um, up until Eddie Mabo won his case, um, really the notion of traditional identity having any meaning beyond your own personal identity... there wasn't much more to it than that in the state of Victoria. Not because the Aboriginal community believed that, but because the wider community had just thought, you know, the Aboriginal people are so disconnected from who they were if, in fact, people accepted there were Aboriginal people in this state. That was a fundamental issue. I remember growing up with that stuff in the 70s and and the 80s when I was a young bloke, you know. Um, Telling the truth, particularly around our traditional identity. Now, the... The Yorty Order decision out of the uh, out of the native title case reinforced that we didn't exist, which yeah. was just wrong. But actually, started I think the movement of we actually don't need a court to confirm who we are. We know who we are. We are here. We have always been here, and we will always be here. So when you can't you can't beat the rule, you bend the rules to your will, which is why we came up with the Traditional Owner Settlement Act. And I'll be honest about that. That was a couple of Yorta Yorta blokes who drove that because we were not, pre- we were not prepared to accept the outraged decision of the federal court in relation to the native title claim.
0: Yeah, just for so the... we
1: tried to accept the truth that we have been here, we are here, we will always be here. Uh, our nation, the Yorta Yorta, and every other nation, uh, Aboriginal nation, that um, exists within the state of Victoria.
0: Amen to that. Now, just for the listeners at home, that native title decision relating to the Yorta Yorta um, basically, the federal court ruled—and correct me if I'm wrong, Ian—that um, um, Yorta Yorta people couldn't prove that they had a, um, yeah. a, a historic and ongoing link to their own yeah. lands, and that was yeah. that that clause was put into the Native Title Act by design, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So the Native Title Act, after the Mabo decision, the federal government, the then federal government, had to negotiate a Native Title Act through. Uh, the Parliament, so the House of Representatives was okay with the Keating government, where they had to negotiate and get whatever they could through was through the Senate because they had the they weren't in the majority in the Senate. So they came up with an Act, the Native Title Act, which effectively said, Native Title exists if you can demonstrate ongoing ongoing unbroken cultural connection to the land that you're claiming from pre-colonisation. Now that. Basically, can happen in remote and northern Australia, where, where honestly, um, a lot of colonisation of any substance never really happened until after the Second World War. So it was still within living memory in the '90s, you know. But in the southern part of Australia, in our country here, we've had disruption from colonisation from, well, in Victoria since the 1820s, if not the early parts of it, earlier than that. Certainly by the 1860s, the whole of the Aboriginal. society had been so severely disrupted, and then into the 20th century, um, uh, the way we practised culture had, had uh, changed from the way we did it traditionally. So the Yorta Order decision, there was two parts to it. One was right at law, and the other one was wrong. So only the first part of his decision was that the Yorta Order weren't able to demonstrate connection to country to the standards outlined in the Native Title Act. Perfectly valid decision. That, I mean, the benchmarks of that act were so ridiculously high yeah. that were designed to cut out a lot of Australia and only relevant in. Absolutely, he was right in that decision at law. The second part was the bit that was wrong and offensive. He said, and therefore, the Yorta Order had been washed away by the tide of history. Now, that was wrong on two counts. One, the law, the, the Native Title Act didn't ask his opinion on whether the Yorta Order still existed or not. It was simply He should have looked at it simply through the lens of, did it reach the benchmark of this Act? The other thing about the second part was it was just deeply offensive. Who the hell was Olney, Justice Olney, to say we had been washed away by the tide of history? That was wrong. That was the bit which, I guess, was one of those things which put my mind to, um, I'm going to do something about land rights in Victoria. Um, And my connection with that goes back to 1983 when the Kane government tried to do a, a land rights act and got... That didn't get anywhere. It was a good idea, but they couldn't get it through the parliament. So, so that truth that that these are the pains and the, and the not only the pain that that caused, but also the the recommitment to doing something about it. That's part of the truth too. So it's not just about the bad things that happen to us, the difficult things, but also telling the story of of how we respond to this, how we mm. um, how we how Aboriginal people have not only uh, have not only uh, survived, but how we've stood up to the challenges and how we've responded to them and indeed bent bent the uh, the course of events to the shape that we want. That's actually part of the story that needs to be told. So we tell the whole truth about who we are as a people, not just parts of it.
0: Yeah, it's a, I think the, what you just said, the, the very valid... Point, and a point that not many people I guess would recognize is that yes, there has been uh, colonization invasion down in this part of the world for, for a very long time and if you want to just put yourself in the minds of the uh, Yorta Or people or the Wavaru people um, within the fir- within five years, for instance, in in the ichuka district of uh, Victoria, um, you went from having no sheep whatsoever to within five to eight years of having fifty million sheep trotting all over your landscape. Now, just think alone what that disruption would mean for your food sources, for your water sources, um, for the for the acts of um, uh, potentially uh, killing some of those sheep. There would be um, harsh punishment. That stuff um, cannot be underestimated. And I guess that's something we want to come out of this truth-telling process, Ian, is that understand the history and what this, what that disruption looked like and how that disruption is actually still affecting people today.
1: And, and I think that's, the, as you say, Daniel, that's a really salient point, is how that is affecting people today. Because I think, I think um, uh, if it's not appreciated how much the past influences who we are at the moment, and indeed... Uh, we must learn from it if we're to determine what our future is. So you're right. That whole disruption and dislocation that occurred in the 19th century rippled all the way through. No, it didn't ripple. It tidal waved all wave. the way through the 20th. Tidal wave all the way through the 20th century, and indeed into the 21st century. We have so so. Um, as you know, I do a lot of. Uh, stuff in the stolen generations community, one of the biggest issues for us is 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 uh, the effect of the removal of people on the generations that come after them. So we just have huge rates of intergenerational trauma. Mm. So it's not just stolen people who are worse off than the broader Aboriginal population. It's the children of the stolen children. It's the grandchildren of the stolen children. There's evidence to suggest, research to suggest that the effect of Uh, intergenerational trauma of such significance as the sealing of children actually spans seven generations before it finally peters out. Seven generations. We're only into generation three and four. Or in the case of my children, they're generation one.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Generation one. There is another six generations to go before the effects of me being removed theoretically peters out. Now, I'm not suggesting that hope does not take seven generations for my uh, descendants, But that's what the evidence is starting to show, that it's not just, uh, um, it's just not a traumatic effect on the people it happens to. It has has an effect beyond them to generation after generation after generation, which is why what happened in the 19th century still has an effect on people in the 21st century. That truth needs to be told and understood.
0: I guess that's why uh, this truth-telling process is so important, because... Uh, one of the benefits that uh, your children, hopefully their children, will have, uh, Ian, is that they will be aware of that research. They will be aware of the impact and, and effects that it has on generation after generation. So they will hopefully be in a better position to be um, aware of that, but also to be able to try and break that cycle if such a cycle exists.
2: Yeah,
1: and and, and I think I think that's part of as I said before is it's just being heard. And not challenged on your story, but just being heard, that has such a huge, profound impact on people in a positive way, um, and and it moves to the, the story to a different place. So it's not only one of the things, Daniel, when I was in charge of Aboriginal Affairs that we used to get all the time was what's wrong with you know what's what's bad about being Aboriginal, and we can list that stuff you know we've all got in with, but one of the things we never really did, and 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 I actually focused on, and we moved towards it. Um, And hopefully, and and not hopefully, I know the truth-telling will also be about, the Commission is also keen to focus on, what's good about being Aboriginal? What's right about being a black fella? Because there is a lot of good to us. There's a lot of positiveness in who we are as a people. We very rarely get to tell that story because people, we ourselves do it. We do it to ourselves. Others do it to us. Put us in a box of disadvantage. Put us in a box of being at the bottom that's not entirely true. We have great strength as a people. We have a wonderful sense of community. And if you're Aboriginal, you're never alone. If there's other black fellows, you've got somebody, you know. Absolutely. That's an enormously powerful thing for a community, for a people. So we should also talk about not with, not just not just the, the difficult past, but we should talk about what we have going for us, and that should form the platform of where we go for the future. Because the one thing about truth, it has to be not just the selected highlights or low lights, it's got to be all the lights. And that involves the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and that's, what, that's what I think uh, will be the great challenge for the Commission, is to get others to, to participate in that picture, to buy into that
2: narrative.
0: Uh, you said one of, what are the, one of the benefits of uh, being um, Aboriginal or, or uh, Yorta Yorta, Ian, one of the benefits is that you'll never find a pair of socks that'll be too tight around the ankle. Uh, that's. Yeah. Um, that I'll just like to add to the list there, just to um, <laughs> uh, keep that conversation going. Now, you've been um, you've been around for a while in, in this space, and you've witnessed um, uh, many things. But have you witnessed a cultural shift in relation to Aboriginal affairs, like the one that we are currently experiencing?
1: I, I do. One of the big things I've seen um, in recent years, and, and certainly it was the expansion of ideas. If a few people started talking about was um, to not see us, a cultural shift in not seeing us as just being disadvantaged. We're actually a whole people, not just those at the, at, at the most disadvantaged, but the full spectrum of, of the Aboriginal community in Victoria and that we have aspiration and we have desire and we, have, we want to see a better future for our children than the one that we've had. So I think that that's been a real cultural shift in how people see Aboriginal people. Um, I know now... Uh, that there's, there's actually, um, there's, particularly amongst kids, they see being Aboriginal as something that they wish they were, non-Aboriginal kids wishing they were Aboriginal. That's, that's astounding. That is staggering when you hear that. Yeah, that's Their a change. appreciation for who we are. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fundamental shift. And in terms of culture, um, the re-emergence of traditional identity, that reinforcement um, or confirmation, or, or you might call it a quiet confidence, about your identity and where you fit into the world, because of the reemergence of traditional identity um, and connection to country, that is incredibly important. Um, and even in contemporary communities, place-based, just just the confidence of being Aboriginal, that's actually a distinct change in our own contemporary culture that I've seen since since I was a young bloke. Um,
0: you see it, you see it with the young 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 people now that. Um, have sat within their own, own culture, and they've been told to be proud and deadly about the culture yeah. their culture the whole life, and they are proud and deadly about their culture. And you, you're seeing that very, very strongly now coming through uh, the younger generations. As as we know, Ian, the, the the population of Aboriginal people in this state is a very young one. So uh, we've mm. got some we've got some fierce warriors heading our way in the not too distant future to, to become okay. leaders, and hopefully one day become elders.
1: Yeah, we do. We actually see people now taking their place not just only in the Aboriginal community but also seeking to lead in the wider community as well. That's an incredibly powerful thing, seeing seeing young Aboriginal people. So a a lot of what I do now is work in the space of uh, being a board member, a non-executive director um, in Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal organisations. The amount of young Aboriginal people who want to sit on boards that are not just Aboriginal community boards. They have a view on things beyond Aboriginal, uh, beyond the Aboriginal uh, community life, but think that they can add to the wider community because quite frankly, they see that the, and and, uh, they see that the uh, non-Aboriginal community has a lot to learn from us. um, And they want to take that there. That's a huge, huge shift in just how we see our place in the world and, the influence we can have on the wider world around us it's
0: fantastic at the end of the day Ian, we're only here to help um <laughs> thanks so much for um coming on the show yet again this evening um you'll be getting a um a koala um Caramello, Caramello koala because oh. you're now officially a friend of the show so um thanks fantastic. again for your time <laughs>
1: And just, and just to correct something, I'm president, for all the uh, community radio listeners out there, I'm president of the Community Broadcasting Fund, not the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Ah. That's very important.
0: Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, I thought it was you that was responsible for the award I won last year, but um, okay. No, uh, no, <laughs> it
1: wasn't. But No, it wasn't, Cuz. so that's okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, right, Cuz, take it easy and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.